This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. All right, Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, turn there please. Yes, I said Acts 6. Turn there please. Good morning. I'm going to be reading Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, Pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of the Lord, oh, the word of God, continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Thank you. So I uh, was reminded again this week of how mechanically inclined I'm not. So. Um, I uh, was, you know, my yard uh, was a little bit behind in mowing my backyard. So I'd mow my front lawn and my backyard, I didn't get to my backyard. And so it's been like a week and a half. And with all the rain, like the, the grass was getting pretty high. So it was one of those, you know, times where I really needed to bag my, my you know, the clippings. And so, all right, so uh, I get my mower out, I mowed, I get around the perimeter, and then I go to empty the bag, which I do. And then I go to start the mower again and the rope breaks. And I'm like, okay, all right, well, that should be pretty easy. It's just a rope. I mean, how hard is it to pull the rope out and to restring it and all of that? So I took it apart, and of course, it is three screws, and I took those screws out. And then I think what happened is when I went to set them down, my hand went into another dimension, and uh, because I still don't know where those screws are. So, like, I dropped them off. They're probably in some multiverse somewhere, and uh, so they're gone. And uh, then when I went to put it back together, didn't have the screws, had to order them from Amazon, took them two or three days to get here. All the while, my grass is growing and my neighbors probably are getting more and more concerned. And so, okay, then they finally come and I, I put it all back together and I go to pull it. And yes, it starts, but it doesn't go back in again. You know what I mean? And so I'm like, oh no, I gotta, I gotta get this thing, like I gotta mow and bag. So that means I gotta start it and stop it a lot. And so I, I got a butter knife out and I just, I just wheeled the thing back in again and I got it all wheeled in and I pulled it and got it started and tied it around the little handle thing and just was mowing. And then what you had to do then is you had to like, leave it mowing, leave it going and pull the bag off and I'm pulling it off and clippings are going everywhere and I'm dumping the bag, putting it back on. Got the lawn mowed, hour and a half later it was done and I walked back in and Courtney was like, hey, thank you, thank you, yes. But I got back in and Courtney was like, what happened to you? And uh, Swamp Thing is what I look like coming back in the door again. It was pretty crazy. Um, over a, a little rope. 
That's all it is, is a little, probably the most simple part of the whole mower, and yet when it's not working right, the whole thing doesn't function right. What's true of a mower is definitely true of a church body. God has designed the church to be a functioning body. And I believe biblically there are offices that are in the church that are important so that the church functions well. And I believe biblically there are two official offices, that of elder and that of deacon. And uh, we have been uh, with two people on our deacon team for quite a while. Several months back, what happened was some people moved away. There were major life changes for others, you know, babies being born, getting married, that sort of thing. And some move aways happened and all of that has reduced our deacon team down to two people. Well, the elders have been concerned about that. So we've been praying and going to the word of God and really designing the recruiting and training process of the deacons, kind of reconfiguring that to be sure we got the right thing in place. And the whole intention was to come and like today, I'm going to preach a message focusing on deacons and talking about deacons. Now I'm back in Acts 6. This is not a continuation of the Acts series. We're going to come back to the latter part of Acts 19 next week to finish up the whole riot in Ephesus portion. So I'm kind of taking a one-off sermon, stepping back into Acts 6. And the reason why I'm doing that is because I believe Acts 6 sets up really the prototype, the model to follow. So let your eyes fall on this. And as you look through Acts 6, there's some things you're not going to see. Uh, You're not going to see the word deacon listed here, nor are you going to see the word elder. So why are you going there? Well, because most Bible scholars agree that that though those offices have not yet fallen into place, elder will come later, and so will deacon as an official office. This does, however, become the model or the prototype on which they should be based. And so we're going to focus in and so learn some things about that. And really what I want to do is I want to ask four key questions, four key questions. Here's question number one. Why? Why do we need deacons? Why do we need deacons? Good question. Let's go back to the text and let's start in verse number one. Uh, now, these, uh, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Let me pause there for a second. Can I give you what's going on? Okay, so first of all, you need to know that there are two kind of key groups of Jewish people coming to know Jesus right now. Hellenists, who are primarily Greek-speaking Jews, and Hebrews, who still speak primarily Hebrew. This is more of a language thing than it is any other thing. Uh, But what's happening is that their widows, the Hellenists, the Greek-speaking Jews, feel like their widows are being neglected. At this time, there are no massive government programs to help care for those in need, and the church is fulfilling that. You'll recognize back in Acts chapter 5, the church took up a major offering. People sold property to provide funds so that the church could meet needs. And key among those were widows. Widows had no way of gaining income themselves. They were reliant upon the generosity of others. And so there was a daily distribution. They would come every day to get money and food and all of that. And the Greek-speaking Jews are like, hey, Those Hebrew widows are getting more than our Greek widows are getting. So what's going on here? Big problem. Everyone say big problem. All right. So how are you going to solve the problem? 
Well, here it is, verse number two. And the 12 summoned the full number of disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up the preaching and the teaching of God's word to serve tables. Therefore, beg out from among yourselves seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit, whom we may appoint over this duty. So here's reason number one that I want to say why we need uh, deacons. Reason number one is because the mission must move forward. Because the mission must move forward. Okay, so uh, I talked about this last week. I'll talk about it again probably several times throughout the book of Acts. The book of Acts has really one key story throughout. So whenever I go to study a portion of Acts, I need to consider what the key story is. What is Luke who wrote it trying to communicate? Uh, It is called by David Helm, the melodic line, the melodic line. And his contention, I agree, that every book of the Bible has this melodic line, this theme uh, throughout the whole book. David Helm describes the melodic line this way. A melody, a melodic line is a short sequence of notes that form a distinctive portion of a song. It may be part of the main melody that gets repeated and varied. I think a good illustration of this uh, is um, uh, Up. Remember the movie Up? Now, listen, no tears this morning, okay? But if you uh, remember the, the, the theme song of Up, Ba-ba-da-dum, 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 da. Come on, everyone sing with me. Ba-da. All right, never mind. But uh, that melodic line, that little piece of that song is repeated several times throughout the movie. Whenever, you know, the, the guy and the, the wife, Ellie, are together, they play that song. And then, of course, there's that scene that everybody hates where she's dying. Sorry, spoiler alert. It happens in the first like five minutes of the movie, but you know, the, the piano just slows down and it's quiet and it's da-da-da-dum, da Same melodic line, but sad. Are you crying yet? Okay, so that's, that's the idea behind a melodic line. And David Helm says this, books of the Bible work the same way. Each book has a melodic line, an essence that informs the book is what, it, what the book is about. And each passage in the book then will serve that melodic line in some way. So that's certainly true here. So what is the melodic line in the book of Acts? Well, you see it at the beginning of Acts chapter 1, and you will be my, do you know what it says? You'll be my witnesses, everyone say that, you're my witnesses uh, in Jerusalem, okay, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. And that's really the outline of the book of Acts. So you see it in Acts 1.8, you see it all throughout the book, and uh, especially in these little summary statements like we see in verse number 7. Look at verse number 7 of Acts 6, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests also came to be into the faith. So you see the word of God going forward. It's part of the melodic line. I hear all that to say, deacons were there to help some of the issues that were coming up that was keeping the mission moving forward. So you got this issue in the church. There's a lot of people, and with more people becomes more problems, and there's issues, and, and, and who's going to help with these issues? Well, because the mission is so vital, we need help. Now, is that true for Redemption Bible Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana? I'm going to ask it again. Is that true of Redemption Bible Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana? Absolutely true. We're to carry the gospel forward in our city. You're to carry the gospel forward in our city. And there are issues that come up, and our mission is important, and we want to keep it moving forward. Therefore, we need deacons. Okay, fine. All right, great. 
So don't we have elders, in, in this case apostles? Why didn't they just take care of the problem? Well, it brings us to our next reason why uh, deacons are important, because the elders must stay focused, because the elders must stay focused. Yes, I know I have the word elders, even though apostles in the text, and I'll get to that. But let's look at this, first of all, in the scripture. So look at verse number two. Verse number two says this, and the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples, so the church, the congregation, and said, now watch this, it is not right that we should give up the preaching, uh, the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit, whom we may appoint over this issue. And look at verse number four. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Very, very clear that God wanted the apostles, the apostles felt the burden of God to stay focused on preaching and teaching and praying. Now, um, yes, we are not apostles, that's very true, but who is primarily responsible for the preaching and teaching in God's church today? Unquestionably, that's elders. Here's 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 1, which says this, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, that's the same word for elder, um, uh, uh, it's a, or a same uh, office is being referred to, and elders, a shepherd, they are elders and they oversee. Uh, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, here here it is, able to teach. The Bible also says in 1 Corinthians 5, 17, let the elders who rule among you be worthy of double honor. Watch this, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So yeah, they could give up what they're called to do, but here's the reality. Uh, we are called to be overseers and preachers and teachers. Let's overseeing because the ministry is important and we need to be overlooking and overseeing and being sure that the ministry is being carried forward, preaching, because the preaching of God's word is vital to the church today. We recognize that Paul told Timothy to preach the word, and I'm telling you, it takes time and effort to study preaching and, of course, to praying. And this was really convicting to me this past week when I began to ask myself, okay, how much time do I spend overseeing? How much time do I spend preaching? Am I spending enough time praying? I mean, I have a prayer time every morning, but is that enough? And it seems to me to indicate that they spend more time than that. And praise God, I had some margin in my schedule this week after I got my sermon done on Thursday. And honestly, man, I just walked around downtown Fort Wayne a bit and just prayed for you, prayed for our church, prayed for our city. And I hope you're saying that's vitally important as well. Uh, another reason, let me give you these reasons, because the mission must move forward, because the elders must stay focused, and then see, because the church, because church unity is important. Unquestionably, what's happening here is God, the unity of the church is being threatened. This is the, listen now, this is the way the enemy always attacks. When God is moving in a church, when people are being impacted, when the mission is going forward, what the enemy wants to do is pit people against people. It's interesting when you study this out because you have Hebrew-speaking Jews and Greek-speaking Jews, and somehow this distribution is being, and it, it seems to be that there's an accusation of, well, you like the Hebrews more than you like the Greeks. But when you see the solution they gave, chances are it was more of this administrative issue it was more just a, a details problem than anything else, and that's how they attacked it. By the way, it's very oftentimes we feel personally about something that's not personal at all. 
It just oftentimes is details. And all that to be say, as said, uh, God wants the church to be united. Very clear from Ephesians chapter one, where he says this, or chapter four, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Watch the words here, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in a bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Hey, I kind of think God wants a church to be one and united. And that's important to God. And one of the key things that deacons do is they help the church stay united. So what is a deacon to be then? Well, here are three key things. A deacon must be mission-focused. A deacon must help lighten the elder's load. A deacon must fight for unity. And just deacons? Or should we all be people who want to be mission-focused? By the way, how are you doing on being mission-focused? Think back through your week, man, how often do you think about the fact that we are here in Fort Wayne to spread the gospel to this city? How are you at helping lighten the elders' load? There's so much to do. I'm going to get to that in just a moment, but we need help. Are you fighting for unity? And You have to fight for it. This is something we all should be striving for. So we see the why some very important reasons. But now I want to focus on this. Let's focus on the what. And to do that, I want you to take your Bibles and turn to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. So as you can see, this sermon is probably a bit more teachy than normal. Are you guys okay with that? You guys like to learn God's word? So good. All right. So this is... Um, Second, uh, First Timothy chapter three, and I want your eyeballs to fall on verse number eight, because now you have the the office getting an official title. By the time Paul pins this first letter to Timothy, giving this pastor instruction on how to raise up elders, we're going to get to the first part of First Timothy three in just a minute. But I want you to see the word given to what becomes the official office, and that is in verse number eight, deacons. It says there. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine. I'm going to get to that in a second, but I want you to see the word deacon. Uh, that is what we call a transliteration. Oftentimes, most of the words you read in the Bible are, trans, are, are translated. So they're one word in the original language, and they're given an English word so we can understand them better. But sometimes they'll just transliterate, meaning they'll just change the word a little bit to fit better in the English language. Another example of that is baptize. Uh, the word baptize really is a transliteration of the Greek word baptizo. And baptizo literally means to dunk. So you could, instead of saying baptize, say dunk, and that have the same idea. But this word is diak a deacon from the Greek word diakonos. And it's really a combination of two words, dia, meaning through, and skoni, meaning dust. Literally, those who come along behind others, and imagine walking on a dusty road, and you have the master in front, and those who are serving in the back, and those in, in the back are the ones that are, are serving through the dust. Charles Ryrie said this about uh, the term deacon. He said, in Greek writings, deacon described a waiter, a messenger, a steward, and a servant. 
these uses may enforce the concept that official deacons in the church did whatever kinds of service the elders delegated to them. So that's the word deacons. Interesting to note that nowhere in Scripture are deacons giving oversight or rule. The elders are the rules, and then the deacons are the ones who come alongside and serve and carry out those tasks. Okay, leave something in uh, 1 Timothy 3. We're going to come back to that in a minute and go back to Acts 6. Now I want to talk a little bit about how this plays out in our church. So what are the areas here at Redemption that deacons oversee? Well, one of them is facility. So here we are in a building. And uh, I want you to, first of all, look up and notice that there's a lot of light bulbs in this room, a whole bunch of light bulbs. Uh, Who's going to be sure those light bulbs are actually working and turning on? Uh, By the way, uh, we have new light fixtures that finally showed up. We ordered them back in, I think, October, and now they're here. So yay, a post-COVID world. But anyway, all that to say, there are things that happen. Everyone look down and you'll see carpet. Uh, We didn't get the self-cleaning carpet, so this carpet has to be cleaned by somebody. And uh, we don't have robots that clean our carpet here, but someone has to clean these carpets. And uh, how about the lawn? There's a lot of lawn that we have. Uh, if you don't know, our church property is this building, the field next door, and the house next to that. The church owns all of that, and all of that needs to be mowed. Uh, let's just take that one example. Uh, how long do you think it would take uh, to get all the lawn mowed, all the weeds trimmed? Any ideas? It takes about three to four hours to do that. That's a full half day of work. So yeah, the elders should do that. Well, okay, what are we as pastors going to give up a half day doing in order to be sure the lawn gets mowed? And that's just one thing. How about the church being cleaned? How about the, you name it, all kinds of things that need to happen just in our facility alone. By the way, we have a cleaning team. And though the deacons oversee it, you don't have to be a deacon to clean. You can clean. Does that excite you? All right, yes, you can have a part in this. Uh, There are finances to overlook. We're going to talk about that next, finances. And uh, now the elders set the budget because the elders oversee. Track with me on this? So if we delegated setting the budget to the deacons, then the deacons are overseeing because they're determining where the money goes. The elders are the overseers, so the elders establish the church budget. But carrying out that budget... There's a lot of work to be done. There are bills to be paid, direct deposits to figure out, insurance companies to call. And all God's people said, ew. I mean, they're just horrible. So um, all that to say, there are lots of things to figure out, and it takes a lot of time. Adam is doing a lot of that right now, more than I would like him to do, because just, we don't have the team. And so we need to have people who are financially able to help carry that load and, and detail-oriented. People who love spreadsheets, that's what we need. We'll pray for your souls, but you love spreadsheets, and that's good. Uh, we also have uh, care needs. Um, so it's hard to see in one service on a summer morning, but probably if you total up all the people we're caring for as a church right now, people who consider redemption their church home, we're somewhere between probably 275 and 350, somewhere in that range. And that's a lot of people to try to care for and a lot of needs that come up. So what do we do to help care for those needs? Well, we need people to help care for them. There are, there are babies being born and people being sick and all of that, and we need help with that. And uh, lastly, this is an easy one to overlook, but legal compliance. And uh, what I mean by that is you have to have a lot of forms filled out to continue to operate as a church. 
And I say it's easy to overlook because I did. Uh, when I first started the church, you know, I had to get us established. I knew that. So I got us established. I got us established in the state of Indiana. I thought once you did that, you were done with the state of Indiana. But we discovered somewhere along the way that, no, you got to do that every year. You got to fill forms out to let them know that you're still around and functioning. And so for several years, we weren't officially an organization in the state of Indiana. We are today, praise God. But uh, uh, the legal, this was all kinds of details. You're tracking with me? Lots of things to figure out. Now, deacons are going to make sure these things happen, lead teams to get all of this done. That being said, you can be a part of a team. Let's try it again. <laughs> you can be a part of a team. <laughs> there we go. And you're called to be part of a team. Did you know that? All right, take your Bibles, go to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. All right, we are all called to serve. Lottie Dottie. Everybody is called to serve Jesus in some capacity, and you've been gifted to serve. I love Romans 12. It's a fond memory of mine because when I was, uh, first got into Awana, uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2 are the very first uh, verses I memorized. And uh, so I love Romans 12, 1 and 2. I have it memorized in uh, King James and uh, New King James and a little bit of ESV. So when I, when I try to recite it by memory, it doesn't go well. So I'm going to go to verse number three and show you this. Uh, watch this now. For the grace given to me, I say to church, what's the word you read there? Mm, everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment as God, uh, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and all the members don't have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, individually members of one another. Are you tracking with that? Everyone point to an eyeball. You have an eyeball. Your eyeball does something different than your nose does. Point to your nose. Your nose is something different than your tongue does. Point to your tongue. And so all these parts have different functions. You need them all to have your head working right. And the body has different parts that all need to work together, but they're all different. So then what should we do? Well, look at verse number six. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, read these next four words with me. Let us use them. And it goes on to list several gifts, not exhaustive lists. There are several lists in the Bible. Here's what I want you to get from this. You are called to serve. I want you to say, I am called to serve. Say it. I am called to serve. Look at your neighbor and say, you are called to serve. Everybody is called to serve. And in all of these areas and more, we have children's ministry. We need service there. We have tech ministry. We have all kinds of opportunities for you to serve. And we need deacons for sure in that. We need everybody helping carry the load. All right, so what? Deacons are servants who help the elders carry the load of the church. And let's ask the next question. That is how? How do we get deacons? Good question. And for this, we're going to go back to Acts 6. Acts 6, chapter 2. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up the preaching and teaching of God's word to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint over this duty. And you get it from there. So the idea was they said, Look around you, look from among you, and give us seven men. Uh, of good repute and full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Uh, now, the number seven there probably doesn't have a massive amount of significance. Probably needed seven, though I will say in the Hebrew culture, seven was a very important number. That all comes from really Genesis. 
How many days of creation? Seven. But that's not the only seven you see if you study out uh, Genesis in the original Hebrew. Uh, I recently listened to a Hebrew scholar unpacking all the sevens throughout the book, especially those first couple of chapters, and it is incredible. By the way, all leading to the seventh day, we're on the seventh day, God rested the Sabbath. I'm about to preach another message It'll take about another 40 minutes. You guys okay with that? Another 40-minute message right here? Uh, but no, let me just say this. I think a, a Sabbath was pre-law and built into the created order of the universe. A day for you, to listen, to spend a day saying, all is as it should be with me and the Lord, and I am at rest. Boy, I want to preach that. But... Um, Here's what they happened in the text. Seven people were suggested by the people, suggested by the people. Now, you see this really interesting. Were they voted in by the people? There's no congregational vote happening, even in Acts 6. What you see in Acts 6 are them choosing people, and now look at verse number 3 again. The end of that says, whom we will appoint to this duty. So they were still appointed by the elders. In fact, when you study God's word, you see all church leadership comes by appointment of some way by the church elders. Here is Titus 1.5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you may put uh, uh, what remains into order and appoint elders and appoint elders, Paul tells Titus, pushing the church forward there in Crete and other places, appoint elders in every town as I direct you. So there was elders appointing elders and church people giving names of people, but still the elders appointing them. And that's what you see throughout scripture. Now, I'm going to take a minute and pause for a second and say, I know that when I say to you, the way church leadership gets into place, according to God's word, is elders appointing church leadership, that for some of you, that's really scary. And that's really scary because you have been very much hurt by church leadership. Church hurt is a very real thing. And I know, I'm not even guessing, I know for sure in this room this morning, there are people who have experienced pain and hurt from church leadership. Plus add to that what's going on in terms of the mega church movement across the country and can you really trust elders to appoint elders? Can you really trust that? Well, here's the deal. Is it biblical? Everyone say yes. I just showed you, he said point elders in every city. There seems to be this as a biblical model going forward. So then what do you do with that? Well, let me, let me use another example in God's word to teach some important concepts that we need to talk about. Um, the Bible also says in Ephesians 5, uh, for wives to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. True? God has an order in the home for leadership. And according to the word of God, that is husbands uh, leading the wives and so forth. Okay, and that too does not sit so well, does it? Because there are men who have done some really, really horrible things to women. There are husbands who have done some really, really horrible things to wives. And the statistics are um, scary. 27.2% of women have had some unwanted sexual encounter with a man, 27.2. That means more than one out of every four women have had some unwanted sexual encounter with a man. 
And then we say, trust us. And I get that's hard. Does it change the fact that it's a biblical paradigm? No, it doesn't. The Bible's still the Bible. The Bible still says what it says. And it's true. The Bible says wives submit to husbands. But listen to me now very carefully. Men, pay attention. The Bible also says husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And the Bible also says to cherish your wife like you cherish your own flesh. And the Bible says in 1 Peter 3 that husbands are to dwell with their wives in an understanding way, giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel. Men are to love their wives like Christ loves the church and to cherish their wives and to understand and know their wives and to care for their wives and to see their wives as precious vessels. And tell me, wife, if your husband did that to you, if he loved you that way and cherished you that much, would it be hard to follow that guy? And men, before you say to your wife, you're called to submit, I would say to you, you can say that once you've lived up to husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. And ain't none of you jackwagons doing that right, <laughs> including me. So until we get our bar down, let's never demand, should we want it? Yes. Is it biblical? Of course. But your job is, man, you get godly. And you get close to Jesus. And you just focus on you loving her like Christ loved you. And you live within your circle of responsibility, which is you loving him and growing in him. And though you're concerned for your wife to live that way, you're not responsible to make her. You're responsible for you. And this is all true, too, of elders. Just as husbands have biblical qualifications and expectations, so do elders. And we, as elders, need to be men who live godly and who live in such a way that you would want to follow us so that you know we love you and we're here to be your servant leaders and we love Jesus. And that is so important and that has to be in place. So saying all of that now, how do we get elders? Yes, or our deacons, yes, we appoint them by the elders with congregational suggestion, but it all comes into this. Who should they be? Who are these men called to be? And for that, I want to look at back in Acts uh, 6, first of all, and then we'll move to another text. But look at Acts chapter 6 with me, and I want you to see what the, there's two kind of key things here. Acts chapter 6, and we're going to look at verse number 3 again. <clears throat> Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men. Here, here are two main qualifications. Number one, of good repute. And then number two, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom. So it is a good horizontal relationship. Tracking with me? They live in such a way that their horizontal relationships are what they need to be man to man. There's also good vertical relationship in that their relationship with God is what it needs to be. And both need to be evident. So this word of good repute literally could be translated is well spoken of. And the idea is that they are people who have a good name, a good reputation. This is interesting from when you marry that to Matthew chapter 7. And Matthew chapter 7 says this, you will recognize them by their fruits. 
Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but every diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruit. All right, so you want men to serve as elders and deacons. One of the things we got to be doing is watching their fruit. And that is evident in the way they operate with other people. Do they have a name? And I'm telling you, uh, you can't fake godliness for long. You cannot fake godliness for long. Or putting it another way, truth and time go hand in hand. And what is on the inside will come out to the outside, and we will see it, and we will know there's got to be a good, godly reputation that these people have. I mean, if you're saying, like, I know that dude goes to church, but man, he sure is a jack wagon every other place, then that's probably not a good elder at all. Probably not, or a deacon for that matter. And I hope a lesson that we have learned from the rise and fall of megachurch pastors is that just because they're seeming to bear fruit, we should not ever overlook their character. Which leads me to this, not only a good reputation, but godly character. And for this, I want you to turn to first, uh, back to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And... Uh, Man, once again, I could like for sure preach a big fat message out of this. So um, all in favor of another 40-minute sermon, signify by saying I. Oh, I got some. I did. But it wasn't very enthusiastic. It was more like, I, what am I going to do? No, I won't do that. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to read this to you. And I'm going to read both the elder qualifications and the deacon qualifications. I'm going to read them, do my best not to preach my way through it as I read it. And, um, but I want you to listen to this because this is what we're to look for. This is who we are to be. First uh, Timothy chapter three, verse one, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. That's the same idea of well-spoken of. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may be puffed up without conceit and fall, in, or with, with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that... Uh, he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first, and let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. 
their wives. Now, pause here for a minute. It's literally the women also, so it could be deaconesses. And we do see the term deaconess used later in the Bible, so it seems to be deacons and deaconesses, which is why we have both here redemption. But moving on, we'll keep reading. Their wives, uh, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, not sober mind, uh, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own household well. For those who serve well as deacons, gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So that's it. So how do we, how do, we do that? Because there's a lot that you consider in all of that. Well, here's how not to do it. Uh, I shouldn't just have uh, my buddies as elders and deacons, people who are my friends who just do what I want them to do. And uh, um, if you uh, think that we have yes men at uh, redemption as elders, you haven't met them. (laughs) Uh, I love the fact that we have men who have a knowledge of the word of God themselves and a love for the word of God themselves and that um, have opinions and thoughts all their own. And it has not been uh, infrequent that I have um, had an idea that the other elders might not have shared at the time. And so we waited until we were all on board together. And I love that. So they're, they're, that's one important thing. Also, we just don't put men who are good businessmen as elders. We want elders to have a good business mind. Track with me on this. We want them to be able to figure out how to do finances, all those things. But they have to have much more than just good business sense. They got to be godly. They've got to love Jesus. They've got to prove that out in the fruit of their life. And so how do we do that? Well, for the elders, we put them through a very lengthy training process. And we go through all the doctrines. Every elder has to come up with their own paper, now that we do this, uh, a paper on bibliology and theology proper and Christology and soteriology. And they have to have a knowledge of doctrinal truth. They read a stack of books. We go through systematic theology with them. And listen, I spend time with them frequently talking with them, meeting with them, try to get into their homes and see their families and just spend time. And probably all said and done, it takes a little over a year to get through that process. We recently done that with Craig as we put Craig before you as an elder. Craig and I have spent a lot of time together. He is now, even though that we have put him there, he's still on a six-month probation just to be sure. And I think he's going to make it. He's doing okay. So that's good. But even before we did that, remember, we came to you and we said, if you know something, let us know how to handle this. And for several weeks, we allowed you to speak in to that. And this, you know, we're just trying. I, I see the damage that ungodly men have done in the elder boards. And I just want to say we're doing all we can to be obedient to the Bible, elders appointing elders, but to do it so carefully that we're protecting ourselves from great damage. And the same will be true of um, deacons. Uh, to a lesser degree, the training process isn't quite so long, but there's a lot of training involved and a lot of things involved to get there. And we want your participation. In fact, we want it right now. So take out your phones, if you would. I want to show you how this is going to work. Go ahead. You can, do, you can do that. Pull out your smartphone or your whatever device you have and uh, put on your camera, point it at the screen, and what you're going to get is a uh, connection to a website. 
Now, if you're not doing this right now and you want to do this later, you certainly can. What you can do is you can go on to the Church Center app and go under Events, Church Center app, go to the Events, and you're going to see a Deacon link there. So with that being said, it takes you to a website, and the website is going to say Deacon Suggestions. And um, is it not working? Okay, some worked, some didn't. Okay, that's technology for you, so that's awesome. Yes, go to the Church Center app, go to events, and look at deacons, and you'll find it there. We will also send a link out via email, all right? So we'll be sure you get this. Thank you, technology. Uh, and anyway, once it works, you'll go to this website here. Matt, if you can flip that screen, and it'll say, you know, deacons, details of all that. And then it says, fill out the form by clicking here. So guess where you click? there, and then it'll take you to a form where you can submit a name and um, put them in there, who would you like, and then that gets put in there, and you hit submit, and then they, uh, we get those names. And then what will happen is the elders will take that, we'll consider that, we'll begin a recruitment and training process of those, and we will let you know when that gets filled out in its entirety. Now, more today a theology of deacons than anything else, and I love it. I love studying the Word of God together, but you need some takeaways, and here are two key ones that I will take you, uh, that I will, I will ask of you. One, uh, live a godly life. Be close to Jesus. Um, I hope I say this, and I mean to say it, and I believe I do say it frequently to our staff and to the men I'm coaching, both as pastors and elders, will frequently say that the most important thing in your life is your walk with Jesus Christ, your personal, daily love relationship with Jesus. And I want that to become the most important thing to you. The fact that we can know and walk with Jesus is mind-blowing, and we can, and, and lean into that. So live godly, and then I would say, secondly, serve well. And all of us have been called to serve. We looked at that in the text, and I'd love for you to participate in serving, which, by the way, if you go into our website, and you click on serving, there's a whole nother section just to fill out and you can see what it means to serve. All that being said, I'm gonna end us in prayer. So God, thank you for our time together today just to look at what your word clearly lines out. And Lord, once again, we stand amazed at how your word, when followed and obeyed, protects us from so many other things. And I wanna say a word of prayer for the men of our church right now. God, you have called men to lead. And therefore, there's massive pushback of men leading in our culture. And yet, God, we need to lead, but we need to lead in godliness. Would you help us all to grow, to love you, to be committed to growing, to become more like Jesus, to love our wives well, like you love the church, to cherish them, to dwell with them with understanding, to treat them with honor. And Lord, help us all to grow more and more in that. And then Lord, for the men who lead our church to be godly, but also pray, Father, for the women of our church to trust you and to serve well as deaconesses and in, in the places where you have them serve. But Father, all because we love you and we wanna see your mission going forward. And we ask this all in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Redemption. You are loved.